true about Daniel 4 because Daniel 4 is, is a much less known story. Uh, I would venture to say this morning uh, that there, there are probably some of us in the room that have never heard the story of Daniel chapter 4 that we're about to look at. Uh, it's, it's, you know, again, to kind of compare that to Daniel 3, it's like right after Daniel 3, but people know Daniel 3 and don't really know Daniel chapter 4. In many ways, though, I think that Daniel 4 is kind of a parallel story to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3 obviously deals with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel 4 is kind of Daniel's version of that story in, in my kind of estimation as I think about it. So, The story is about Daniel's courage instead of the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I just kind of keep that in mind as we look at this story. Now, one of the things you need to know about the book of Daniel that I realized this week, I'm not sure that I've really mentioned, is that as you're reading through the book of Daniel, um, there's some time that passes between chapters, from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3 to chapter 4. So today as we step into kind of the world of chapter 4, there's some time that's passed between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of Daniel chapter 4. They're connected. All these chapters are connected, obviously. They tell stories about the same characters. Uh, the, the, the players in the story are similar. Today it's King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, kind of the primary characters in chapter 4. But by the time we reach ta- chapter 4, some time has passed. And this entire time, Daniel has been living in Babylon. You remember if you were here in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and the Israelites are conquered by Babylon. The the nation of Israel is conquered by the nation of Babylon, and Babylon drags off the best and the brightest uh, people as captives to go and live in Babylon. And so Daniel is one of those captives. He's in exile. He's, He's from Israel. He's Jewish, but now he's living in Babylon. He's been living in Babylon for a long time, finding a way to live and survive and navigate life in Babylon, all while living in this place that is not interested in God. He is trying to be faithful to God. And so that's sort of the back kind of backstory of where we're going to be today. And I'm not going to be able to read everything that there is to read. So it may be that you want to go and find some time this upcoming week to kind of read through Daniel chapter four on your own. It's a long chapter. I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, but in Daniel chapter 4, similar also to the, the second chapter when we looked at, like the, Daniel's, there's, have, there's some dreams that are happening. King Nebuchadnezzar is having these really odd dreams. And I, I imagine as I think about Nebuchadnezzar, and I've said in previous weeks, he's the leader of the strongest, most powerful nation on the planet at this particular time. And I suspect that if you are the, the, the leader of the strongest, most powerful nation on the planet, that you don't sleep well, right? There's probably always something to worry about. There's probably always something to be concerned about. And so on top of the fact that he doesn't sleep well, he has these reoccurring bad dreams. It's kind of been a theme of his, of his time as the ruler of Babylon. And we learned again in previous weeks that Daniel is, is the, dream, the top dream interpreter in the nation of Babylon. That's, this is what he does. And so We're going to read beginning in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. This is what it says. And I want you to notice there's an interesting thing that happens in Daniel chapter 4 also. You have some first-person perspective from Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't even know that Nebuchadnezzar wrote part of your Bible, but here it is. So it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. 
As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Now, again, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but if you do, I want you to notice that this is a reoccurring. This is not the only time that you hear Nebuchadnezzar speak in the first person in uh, Daniel chapter 4. So he has this dream. And in his dream, I'm going to kind of tell you the dream, and we'll hear, hear it repeated in a minute. In, this, in his dream, he dreams about this tree that grows up. Its height, it says, was enormous, so tall that it grew all the way to the heavens and that the top of the tree touched the sky. And its branches spread out and it filled the entire earth. So he's dreaming about this tree that grows up and up and up until its branches are continuing to cover the entire earth. It's visible, it says, in all the earth. And all the earth gets its fruit from this tree. All the birds build their nests in the tree. All the animals get their shade from the tree. And in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar realizes that some translations call them the watchers. The NIV that I am going to be using in a minute calls it the, them the holy ones, some kind of messengers. There's some messengers that are watching the tree. Again, remember, this is a dream. Things don't always make sense in dreams. And so he's wa these watchers, these messengers are watching this tree's growth. They're watching how massive it's becoming. They're watching its influence. And this holy messenger understands that the fruit of this tree is not good. So this is what happens next. I'm skipping down to verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar says, In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let them be drenched with the dew of heaven and let, him, let them live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be from, be from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, which is another name, the name he gives to Daniel, tell me what it means. For none of my wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And so this is his dream. Nebuchadnezzar is obviously upset. He's disturbed. He calls in his advisors, his counselors, his special counsel, his intelligence agency, as I've referred to them in other weeks. And, and this time, in, in earlier chapters, he, he just, he tells them, you remember this trick, he says, well, if I tell you the dream, then, you know, you're, how do I know that you're being honest with me? So you tell me what I dreamed, and then you also tell me what it means. And his, his wise men, his intelligence agents, they say, nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you what you're thinking. But this time, he doesn't even wait. He just tells them the dream and says, tell me what it means. And it doesn't seem hard, honestly. Like, like, we're obviously, we have some perspective, several thousand years of perspective kind of to hear this story. But, I mean, I feel like I could interpret this dream. I feel like you could interpret this dream, and we're not even dream interpreters, right? And so he calls Daniel in, and who he has made the head of his intelligence agency. 
And Daniel says, okay, tell me the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar tells him. And Daniel says, oh, I know this one. I, 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 I got this one. I know exactly what it means. Listen to what Daniel says, picking up in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. We get a little like compassion from King Nebuchadnezzar there. Belteshazzar, Daniel, answered, my lord, I'm troubled because if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Now, I want to stop just for a second here and say a couple of things really quickly and just leave that verse up on the screen. First of all, I want to kind of, I want to think for a second about why can't Nebuchadnezzar's advisors, everybody in his little intelligence agency, why can't they determine what the dream means, but Daniel can? I mean, the easy answer is God. That's part of it, probably, certainly. But it doesn't seem, again, probably that hard to figure out. Like knowing what you know about Nebuchadnezzar, the great and powerful king that he was, and knowing what you know about Babylon just from the last few weeks of this series, I mean, I feel like we could figure it out, right? I, I would suggest that what's going on here is, and the reason that, his, that the Babylonian intelligence agency can't figure out what it means is because they are Babylonian. All that has ever shaped and formed their hearts and their imagination is Babylonian. So they think like Babylonians. But Daniel is a Jew. And Daniel has a different source for his intelligence. He has this thing called his Bible, the Torah. These ancient stories in the Old Testament that contain stories of his people from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, those first five books of your Old Testament. And all of those stories, since he was a little boy, have shaped and formed his heart, have shaped and formed the way he thinks about life, about how he thinks about the world. And they've given him a different lens through which to see the world. Larry actually mentioned this in his communion meditation a minute ago, but the, the Babylonian story is obviously the dominant story in Daniel chapter 4, but the Babylonian story is lacking. It's a story about dominion and power and might, but Daniel knows a better story. Because of who he is and where he comes from, he knows that almost a thousand years earlier from this point, Israel was living in another empire, Egypt. And the Egyptians and Pharaoh, their ruler, were using them as cheap labor to make bricks, the story of Exodus tells us, to build their roads, to build their cities, to build their towns. And they cry out to God because they're suffering, and they say, God, please help us. And God hears them, and God sends them a deliverer, Moses. And Daniel knows this story. It's shaped his life. He knows that there were a people, his people, that used to be in slavery, and now, because of God's work in their life, led them out of that, out of bondage under the influence of that ruler, Pharaoh, and out of the influence of that empire, Egypt, into the promised land, the place that God had prepared for them. And this story has shaped and formed his heart. And God eventually, after, as, after those people are led out, what God does, if this is sort of a summary of the Old Testament right here in this one sentence, God forms a society of people. Israel is what we know them as. 
around that memory of being led out of Egypt. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that moving forward from, if you look at the Old Testament story, from that point when God led Israel out of Egypt, moving forward from that point, they were, they were supposed to be a different kind of people. A people that was committed, and they were deeply committed to justice for the poor and the oppressed. Which is why Daniel, I think, has the perspective, is able to have the perspective that he has in speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. He's in exile. He's not from there. He isn't so neck deep in the Babylonian culture that he's unable to see the ways that the Babylonian culture is doing harm in the world. But the Babylonian intelligence agency, they're too close to see it. They're too close to Nebuchadnezzar to see it for themselves. Because if you think about it, if you're working for the king and your life has been shaped by the Babylonian culture, right? if it's bad news for King Nebuchadnezzar, it's bad news for you too. But in Daniel's case, if it's bad news for Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad news to him because he lives according to a different story. And I want to point that out because I think we, like Daniel, are a people who live according to a different story. The reason that there are Christians that are a part of the kingdom of God all over the world is because of the fact that our primary kingdom is not of this world. And so, therefore, it's not the dominant, the the place wherever we live is not the dominant story that we live under. And so, the call for us is to be committed to the things that God is interested in and speak up about those things, even if it's hard, even if it's scary. Which look, leads me to the other thing that I want to point out about verse 19. Daniel knows that this second dream, like the first one about the statue, is going to challenge Nebuchadnezzar. Think about this. Just imagine with me in your mind for a second. You are a nobody, insignificant dream interpreter that can be brushed aside at any moment. And you have been called before the most powerful human being on the planet. And you have bad news for him. Do you say the easy thing to save your neck? Or do you say the thing that is, that is being asked to be spoken? And so we, we read, he's afraid, understandably. It's a difficult job. He has the difficult job of telling Nebuchadnezzar this really bad news, what this dream means. How is the, how is the king going to take the news? And so Daniel says, king, it would be better... It would really be better for me if the meaning of this dream applied to your enemies, to your adversaries, but it, it doesn't. Now, this, this one, unfortunately for me, this one's for you. This one has to do with you. And I want to suggest that I think that this moment might be the most important moment in the entire story in Daniel chapter 4. It might be the most important moment because we catch Daniel being honest He's afraid, but it's okay to be afraid to do hard things. It's okay to be afraid, to be nervous, and to do hard things. And some of us, somebody might need to hear me say that this morning. It can be hard to stand when everybody else is bowing, we learned last week. To have character when no one else is watching. To be a certain kind of person because you committed to be that kind of person. Let us learn from Daniel 
though, that he still does the hard thing and speaks to Nebuchadnezzar. His fear doesn't get to be the loudest voice in his spirit, in his heart. He finds the courage and he takes a deep breath and he begins to explain it. And he goes on to explain the entire dream. With that tree that grows up and up and up and up, we're going to pick up in verse 24. He says, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against the Lord, my King, my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Daniel is able to say, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm afraid this dream is about you. It's all about you. It's all about your kingdom. It's all about your empire. It's all about the way that you're going about doing business in this world here in Babylon. And I'd like to give you some advice if I can. I'd like to give you some counsel if you'll let me. And then he says this, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. What's interesting about this story is that the only sin that Daniel identifies in speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar had, the only sin that Nebuchadnezzar has committed, that Daniel identifies at least, that will allow him, to, if he can repent of it, to avoid the fate that the dream predicts, is that he needs to show mercy to the poor. He needs to pay attention to the oppressed. Instead of creating all sorts of ideas about why the poor and oppressed deserve the treatment that they receive, instead of coming up with reasons why they became poor in the first place, if they would just work a little harder, they, wouldn't, they could be in a better place. Right? No, instead of doing that, Daniel says, you need to repent. And you can avoid this dream ever coming true. But some time passes, 12 months in fact, a whole year. Nebuchadnezzar, by this point, if you read on in Daniel 4, he forgets that the dream, he's sleeping well again, sleeping soundly. And then one evening, Daniel 4 tells us, Nebuchadnezzar is up on the roof of his palace. Maybe you know that Babylon is known for the, the hanging gardens, this famous hanging garden. So imagine Nebuchadnezzar standing on the top of his roof, overlooking the hanging gardens, this beautiful kingdom that he has established, he's built. He's looking out over the kingdom, and he begins to engage in self-congratulations. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, you're unbelievable. This, this is the greatest thing that the world has ever seen. And you did it. I mean, look what you did. You built it. You should be so proud of yourself. And Daniel 4 tells us that suddenly as Nebuchadnezzar is up on the top of that roof, overlooking his kingdom, engaging in self-congratulations, a voice from heaven comes, chop down that tree. There's been a lot of first person in Daniel chapter 4, but now God speaks. A lot of Nebuchadnezzar talking, but now God speaks. And a voice from heaven says, Nebuchadnezzar, 
You're not going to be king for a while. You're going to lose your sanity. You're going to, it's going to be completely taken from you. You'll be driven from society. You'll live as a wild beast. Your hair will grow out. It says, like, look, you'll, look like, it'll look, you'll have so much hair, you'll look like, it'll like feathers on a bird. And your fingernails are going to grow out so long, they're going to look like claws on an animal. It seems as though, as I read Daniel chapter 4, that heaven is saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you want to act beastly? Then go ahead and be a beast. And so the king goes mad. He loses his sanity. For seven years, he eats grass like a cow. He acts beastly, so he gets to live like a beast. And then, heaven has mercy. This is what Daniel chapter, 30, chapter 4, verse 34 says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. See, he had been up on that roof overlooking his kingdom, gloating and being arrogant and full of pride. Everyone is below me. Everyone is beneath me. I'm the big guy. I'm on top. I'm the best. And this kind of arrogance makes us beastly. It makes us inhumane, caring about us and only us and our agenda and our lives and our priorities. But after seven years of, of education, you could say he got a college degree and a master's degree. He had lots of education out there in the wilderness. He had a lot of time to learn. Old, old Nebuchadnezzar had a change of heart. And he looked up to heaven. He had learned his lesson and his sanity is restored. This is what it says in verse 35. All the peoples, he goes on to say, all the peoples are regarded as nothing. This is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, and some of it isn't actually true, but he's learning, so just kind of hear him. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And so after he has served his seven years of wilderness education and returned to his senses, he's beginning to understand. And he decides that there is something above me, that I am not on top. There is a God above me to whom I am answerable. And the thing I want to say about this story is that we, our culture, is steeped in pride and self-congratulations. Like, it, it would be easy for all of us, it is easy for all of us to live in that world where it's look at me, recognize me, pay attention to me. Social media has not helped this at all. It was already that way. It hadn't helped. And what God wants for us, what God wanted for Nebuchadnezzar and what God still wants for us is to be concerned about other people. What God wanted for Nebuchadnezzar was to pay attention to the people that he was oppressing, that he was hurting, that he was stepping on. 
I want to look back at verse 27 for just a moment. That moment when Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And maybe, it might be that then your prosperity would continue. That the influence, what you hear in these words is the influence of that story that Daniel has been shaped and formed by, that story of Israel in Egypt and God taking Israel out of Egypt and giving them a new place and telling them, don't ever be like the Egyptians. Instead of being like that, you take care of the poor. You take care of the oppressed. You take care of the alien and the stranger and the widow and the orphan. You take care of people who are invisible in most societies. That influence shows back up because God cares about how people get treated. And he judges Nebuchadnezzar for his lack of concern for the, for the oppressed and the poor. The main issue, we hear that, right? The main issue that God has, uh, he was terrible. Nebuchadnezzar was a terrible person. The main issue that God has with Nebuchadnezzar is not all his idols, not all the following the other gods. It's about how he treats the oppressed and the poor. And Daniel is saying, I, I think everybody can flourish, Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody can have what they need. We don't have to pick. It's not either or, but only if people in power believe that. And you and I have power. We have influence in our own lives. Do we believe? Do we believe? And are we concerned about the oppressed and the poor and the marginalized in our city, in our county, in our state, in our world? That's one thing that I think we learn from Daniel chapter 4. The other thing, connected thing, I think, that we learn from this chapter is back in verse 19. When Daniel is called to interpret this dream, we get this glimpse. I, I actually love this part of the story. We get this glimpse of Daniel that he's just a normal person like you and me. We see him sort of as this big, powerful, really capable guy, but we get this glimpse that he's not always put together in the ways that we might imagine. He's worried about this dream. He's upset. The thoughts that he has now has in his mind have him nervous and afraid. He knows that he has to say, that he needs to say, he, he's compelled to say the hard thing to Nebuchadnezzar. But I think, it's, I think he's wrestling with it. You don't, you don't, he doesn't say that explicitly in the text, but I think that if you go back and read the early part of Daniel chapter 4, he's, he's wrestling with, what do I do with this information that I have? And I think the story changes a little bit if you don't think of it as a foregone conclusion that Daniel was always going to say the thing to Nebuchadnezzar that he was supposed to say. But if you consider the fact that in his fear and his wrestling and his concern about this word that he's received from God, that he might not do it, but then he does. He tells the king the difficult meaning of the dream, the bad news, chop it down, chop the tree down. And I think the lesson for us is this, that knowing, knowing what God wants us to do, hear me, and doing what God wants us to do are not the same thing. Daniel could have known what God wanted him to do and not done it. Knowing what God wants us to do and doing what God wants us to do are two different things. And in our church, particularly in our tradition, we study the Bible a lot. 
Many of us know the stories. I mean, I'm preaching. You don't go to a lot of churches where they preach through a book like Daniel, quite honestly, right? That says something about our tradition, whether you realize it or not, is that every sermon is going to come out of a scripture, out of a place in God's word. And we know the stories. Many of us know the stories. We've heard the stories. So knowledge typically isn't the problem for a lot of us. Our issue, I would suggest, that we struggle with is doing. I know what the Bible says, but will I do it? Will I do it? It's not enough to know what God wants you and I to do. We have to do what God wants us to do. And what we, what we know about Daniel, we know about Daniel, let me say it that way, we know, we know Daniel's story because he did something that other people wouldn't do. If Daniel chooses to not speak to Nebuchadnezzar, I would suggest that we don't know much about his story. He wasn't faithful in the moment when he was called to be faithful. He's afraid to tell the dream, but he does it anyway. He had, has the courage to do hard things. And I would say that the heart change that happens in Nebuchadnezzar or begins in Nebuchadnezzar never happens unless Daniel does the hard thing, which is the word that I think is our word to hear about this story. Church, we can talk about things like forgiveness and grace. I mean, I could preach every week about forgiveness, but unless all of us live into the practice of forgiveness and go, you know what, I am not hearing one more sermon about forgiveness until I actually do something about forgiving people that have hurt me. We could talk about grace. We can talk about dealing with our anger. We could talk about being people of character, loving our neighbors, caring for the poor, speaking truth to people when it's needed. But if all we do is talk about it, if all we do is talk about it, we've missed it. Because our faith compels us to live out what we know. To put it another way, a way that someone years ago suggested to me, we can study the playbook. Right? This is the playbook. We can study it. We can know what it says. But unless we actually go out onto the field and play the game, which is what we're really supposed to do. This is supposed to inform how we play the game of life, how we live the game of life. Then we're not actually doing what we're supposed to do. And there's a difference between knowing and doing, and we are to be doers, living out what we've learned and not being content with just learning. And the story of the Bible over and over and over again is that God uses courageous people who do what they know. Daniel is one of those people, and so are you. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning for your spirit to be at work in us as we think about the ways that we mistreat and disregard and ignore people in our lives who are invisible, the oppressed, the poor, uh, people who we walk past every single day that may not get the recognition and notice. Help us to see the ways that we all have power and influence in our own relationship circles in our life and to be people who pay attention to, who, who give acknowledgement to the ways that people around us feel not acknowledged, not recognized. Help us to use the model of Christ to become the servant, to disregard whatever power or influence we have so that we might serve the people around us, caring for them, paying attention to them, being aware of them. 
And I pray this morning, God, that we will also be people who do, who live out the convictions that we have, the things that we know, and choose to not let them just be knowledge that comes into our our heads but never comes out of our lives. We're thankful for examples like Daniel who, who in the face of some fear and anxiety about what he felt like he was supposed to do, he took a deep breath, he trusted in you, and he spoke a word to the king. And a heart change began to happen. This morning I pray that for, e- for each of us, as we wrestle with the ways that we may need to have this same kind of courage, that you'll give us clarity and insight and wisdom and knowledge so that we can live out those things through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing one more song and then uh, wrap up with our shepherd's prayer and begin to head to our classes. If you have any needs this morning, want to make those aware, you can text those in or let us know, and we would love to pray with you. Let's sing together.